Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? The following is an actor portrayal. With Kindly Assisted Living and Memory Care at Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County, you can anticipate more. But don't take our word for it. My dad moved to Kindly and loved it. His apartment was spacious, sunny, and overlooked Parkland. It was a great comfort to me to see him always smiling and involved in the life at Kindly. Enjoy quality on-site nursing and rehab services, too. Visit Kindly at Asbury.org today. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 145 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store today, and with me, as usual, is my 80-grade co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, man? Yeah, not too much. Good to be back, and we skipped our midweek episode last week, so it's been a week since we've talked, at least on the on air, and so it's good to be back on the airwaves. Talking baseball, been a good week. I've been out several times, minor league games, so it's been fun. Ian Cundell from Sox Prospects was down here in Greenville, so hung out with him some at the games, and I had a good time, so good to be back on the airwaves, though. Yeah, it feels like it's been a lot longer than a week, though, we're not used to like having that week gap with our two episodes, but... Just schedule wise, and there wasn't really like a ton to talk about last. We we had some stuff, but we're like, yeah, let's just you know take a little breather here and come back strong with two episodes this week. So we get a lot of fun things to talk about today. But I mean, how is it already almost September, Chris? Like my, my kids go back to school tomorrow on Monday. When you're listening to this, like school is back up for kids. You know, with the last month of the MLB regular season, minor leagues are you know got another few weeks in certain leagues. It's like. Man, where has the time gone? Yeah, it's crazy to think. And, you know, it's sad that you know minor league balls kind of coming to an end. Greenville has one more home series, so kind of sad on that standpoint. But, you know, at least we got another month plus of major league ball. So then playoffs, obviously. So still a lot to be had and plenty of time to make, make up ground in your standings for fantasy. But uh, we are in the final stretch, so time to hit, put it in gear and get going. Yeah, for sure. I got to figure out who my postseason team to root for is going to be because obviously my Red Sox are not going to make it. I don't know. The Mets are kind of fun. Your Braves are fun. It's not going to be the Dodgers. I don't want to root for one of the big ones. Maybe if San Diego stinks in with Soto, I obviously I love Soto. I guess I got about a month to figure out my uh, de facto playoff or postseason team to root for here with my socks out of it. But let's get into the show here. But before we do the usual housekeeping, 
You can find us on Twitter, Chris at RotoCleg. I'm at AirCross04, and our show's at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both of us. And, of course, check out all the other great work from the entire team over at Fantrax HQ. All right, Chris. Big, big news to start the show here, which actually broke within about an hour and a half or so before we started recording here on Sunday night. Corbin Carroll getting the call up to Arizona. And this is, you know, obviously the two big ones that we were hoping for are him and Henderson. But finally, with Carroll getting the call up, there was nothing left for him to really prove in the minor leagues. Yeah, he only had 33 games under his belt in AAA, but he dominated those. He had seven home runs and 11 steals in those games, 287, 408, 535. Overall, in 93 games between AA and AAA, 307, 425, 611, 22 doubles, eight triples, 24 home runs, 31 steals, only caught five times. You know, ridiculously high, you know, well over 10% walk rate, under 20. 5% K rate, 304 ISO. I mean, everything you could want from a big impact fantasy prospect call up is there. Obviously, he's my, num- my number one. I'm pretty sure he's your number one as well, if I recall correctly. Honestly, go from one to 10, and this answer better be at least a 10. How excited are you for Corbin Carroll getting the call up? Yeah, I'm very excited. We knew it was coming. We, we expected this, obviously, because GM Mike Hazen said about a week ago that he would be coming up. It was just a matter of when. And it makes a lot of sense. He really had nothing to prove. At this point, he can still maintain rookie eligibility to begin next season. So he's not likely – he won't be on the roster for more than 45 days, and he's unlikely to eclipse the you have bat limit to exhaust that service time. So from that standpoint, see what he's got. You know, Plan out for next year. Like It's a good move for the D-backs. It's a good move for Carroll. I feel like the floor is high here. So, you know, we've looked at some, a lot of prospects have struggled out of the gate and I don't see Carroll as being one, you know, maybe initially, but there's such a strong field to hit here. This is one of the more impressive prospects that we've seen in a while. And while we think of like J-Rod being like a superstar, I don't really see Carroll ever being a superstar, but he's going to be a really good player for a long time. I mean, you look at consistently what kind of contact he makes, kind of bang average he posts, He's going to post something near 280, 290. He's going to have seasons that he hits even higher than that, I think. And the powers really come around this year, which has been obviously what you want to see. I'm very excited. I just think that Carroll is one that is going to be a star kind of off the bat. Not a superstar, but he's going to be a really high-impact fantasy player. So certainly worth an ad and get him in your lineups in a dynasty league. Oh, I totally agree, man. I've been... Really excited, waiting for this you know call up ever since we heard the well even before we heard the news from the GM Hazen about you know him probably getting the call this year. Yeah, he I've said like this he has number you know for our first round fantasy upside. He has Trey Turner upside. I hate I really do hate putting these comps on guys, but if anyone could turn into like a fantasy first rounder, he's the one I have the the highest faith in doing so. Everything we wanted to see from him this year. Like he's done and then exceeded those expectations. Like obviously we knew the hit tool was plus two, double plus, elite speed. You know the on base abilities, the approach, all of that was great. And we knew there was potential for more power in the profile. And he is just really, really like I said, he has an ISO over 300, 24 home runs in just how many games was it? Ninety, I think ninety something games, ninety three games. So on pace for like that's over forty homer pace right there. Obviously he's not gonna be a forty homer guy, but. 
yeah, 280 to 300, maybe even over 300 some seasons, 20 plus home runs, maybe 25 plus some years, 30 plus steals. He's a high efficiency runner as well. Won't even caught seven times out of 59 attempts in the minor leagues. High OBP guy, 408 this and AAA, the, like I said, 426 overall in his minor league career in 142 games. Like, look at these 142 games, minor leagues, 28 home runs, 52 steals. 32 doubles, 17 triples. This guy's an extra base hit machine. I think I think my biggest question right now is how does that line, you know, the outfield really shake out? Because right now you've had Alec Thomas playing center field. And yeah, he's been, you know, not terrible, but kind of pretty lackluster. So I think maybe he gets the bump out, but Dalton Varsho's been starting in right. Jake McCarthy's in left, who's been hitting pretty well lately. Good average, some speed as well. And they have Kettle Marte DHing. So you got to wonder. Who, who do you think gets the bump, Chris? You think it's McCarthy? You think it's Thomas? Obviously, probably not Varsho, but probably Thomas or McCarthy. Yeah, and, you know, while Thomas has been less than stellar, I feel like they're going to keep running him out there to see what what they can get. Probably. I, I mean, I'm not sure demoting him does much for him at this point, so that's probably unlikely. So, I mean, sadly, it could be McCarthy, but... I don't know. I'll be interested to see how it works. Like, I mean, could Kettle Marte bump back to second? Rojas could bump to third. I mean, Emmanuel Rivera's been pretty good, but I don't know. It, we'll see. I mean, Marte's been DHing pretty much regularly, which is interesting. It'll we'll have to wait and see how it shakes out because right now I think it's just a pretty much a guessing game. Yeah, it's not like you can platoon those two guys. They're both lefties, so right. And like maybe they move. I don't think they move Varsha back to catcher and bump kelly like there's there's a lot of flexibility with it with this lineup like you said like rojas is flexibility varsha's flexibility kettle's flexibility but i don't know it's i think it probably is mccarthy maybe a little bit of both more so mccarthy than thomas but i see thomas losing at least a little bit of time but they're obviously not gonna call up corbin carroll to have him you know only playing two two or three times a week so yeah he is just absolutely looks like a fantasy stud in the very near future, he's one of the guys, like you, like you mentioned, I think he can hit the ground running here and really be an impact player from day one. Do you think we also see Gunnar Henderson soon? I'm sure everyone's wondering, hey, when's Gunnar Henderson getting the call up? There's kind of been rumblings about him in Baltimore as well. Not quite as strong of rumblings as we had with Corbin Carroll, but do you think we see Henderson by the end of the year? I do. I think that he's probably up within the next week, if I had to guess. Now, there's no way to know for sure. There was a lot of speculation last week when he was out of the lineup on, I think, Tuesday yeah. when they had traveled to Jacksonville. He hadn't traveled, blah, 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 all this stuff. But I, if I had to guess, it's probably this week. I mean, they are – Norfolk's going back home. So I don't know how Baltimore's schedule lines up, but I could see him certainly getting the call if they're at home, like at some point next week. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to pull, I'm pull up the standing. I want to see how close. I know Baltimore has been kind of hanging around. Yeah, there's still there's seven games over 500. In terms of the wild card, they are looks like let's see here should be three games out. Yeah, so the first wild card is the Mariners. I know. Excuse me. First wild card is the Rays, half game over the Mariners. Yeah, so they're only about. Yeah, like two. I think two and a half games out. So they're still lurking there. They're playing well. You know, they're six and four in their last ten. So this is a thing where maybe it's more. You know, even a little bit of a help for them in the short term, as opposed to like, all right, let's see what we have with Henderson. He could help them right now if they really think they can make the postseason. 
I don't think they'll do anything in the postseason, even if they do make it. But that'll be a, a fun little. I'm sure he's he's an upgrade over Rugnano Door or you know Ramon Urias or whoever else are going to bump out of that lineup. So yeah, I do think we see Henderson soon as well. I think yes, by you know I think even sooner than that. I mean I think by Labor Day, well, we see. Actually, that is next week. Yeah, so I guess I'm I'm in the next week as well. But yeah, really excited for Carroll. Equally excited. I'm even equally excited for Henderson, but I think we do see him soon as well. Next call up here. Okay, drops down in terms of excitement, but still some uh, intriguing names. Three more names on the list here for promotions this week. Next one on the list, Cade Cavalli got the call. And this was a guy that I saw last year. Love this stuff. You know, he's always had really, really good stuff. Three above average or better offerings. But the command and control has been really up and down. Earlier this year, he was at about 11%. Last uh, you know month or I think it was either a month or six weeks before the, the call up, he was about 8.3%. So like, all right, maybe he's, he figured something out and he's going to do better. But that debut was just absolutely atrocious. Four and a third inning, six hits, seven earned, two walks. He did strike out six but also hit three guys as well. So Chris, are you, do you think that stretch, you know, like I said, the last like six weeks or so where he dropped that key or the walk rate, do you think there's something there or do you, you still have the same thoughts on Cavalli where stuff is good, but just the command and control is going to limit him a lot. I do. I fear that it does limit him. I have those concerns still. And you look and while the walks have gone down, down a bit there's still a lot of starts out there with where he's walking like three batters a start and i i just think that it's going to limit him long term because it's just not there and when he's missing as you saw when he misses a pitch he's going to get hit the major league level he can get away with it some in triple a but you're not going to get away with that against big league competition and unfortunately that was what we saw from him in his first start i don't know i mean i've got a kind of mixed bag on how i feel about him but I wouldn't have high expectations, at least for this year. Yeah, definitely I, not for this year. Yeah, he's he's one that I really feel torn on long term, honestly. But you know, what can he be? He has upside. He's got a good arsenal. You know, he certainly looked the part at some points in his start. I mean, the fastball. You know, he averaged ninety five six on it in the start. He didn't get a ton of whiffs though, which is whatever. It's fine. Curveball looked good. I mean, the curveball had a 40% whiff rate, which is impressive. And the changeup performed well as well. But when he's just missing those pitches, then he's he's really going to get hit around. And obviously the walks, too. Yeah, I th- I think he still is like a high strikeout number four guy. Like, you know, I kind of put out a tweet. That I was like, all right, maybe if you really need Ks, I guess you can go after him. But this isn't the guy I was like looking to run to the waiver wire to put a claim in on or, you know, spend a lot of fab. If you've whatever you have left for fab at this point in the season. He was a guy that I was really excited about. Like, all right, there's some intrigue, of course, because of the arsenal. And he's finally getting a shot here for the Nats, which he should. Like, there's nothing left, you know, for him to really prove in the minor leagues instead of gaining that command and control. But he can try to work on that in the major league level as well while getting that experience. And obviously the Nats aren't going anywhere. So kind of made sense to give him the call right now. It's just to give him, you know, five, six starts or whatever it is before the end of the season. But yeah, long-term, I just... It's not as bad as DL Hall, so I don't think there's quite as high of reliever risk here with Cavalli, though there is some. I still lean towards him being a starter, but probably more so like a high K SP four that has kind of so so you know ratios, like maybe a you know low four ERA one two five one three whip type of guy, but he'll get you 
you know, 27, 28% K rate. So they'll always keep him at least fantasy relevant, but probably I don't see him turning into some impact fantasy player or anything like that, though. Next here, Garrett Mitchell, one of my former prospect crushes here. And, you know, even though the power still has not materialized, like this year, five home runs and a 426 slug and a 139 ISO in 68 games, mostly between double A and triple A. He's actually been playing pretty well outside of that, you know, 287 batting average, 377 OBP, 17 steals in 68 games, already been caught once. He has 34 career steals in the minor leagues compared to only being caught three times in 132 games. So there is some, you know, average OBP stolen base upside here, but who knows where that power is going to be. It's funny. I think it was Matt Heckman said something on the lines of, I think he's a swing change away from really kind of breaking out. And I was like, yeah, but I think he's kind of been that change away from breaking out for a couple of years now since being drafted. So Chris, what are your thoughts here? Garrett Mitchell, do you think now this year maybe not so much because it looks like he might be platooning with Tyrone Taylor, but long term, do you think there's some fantasy appeal here in Dynasty Leagues? I don't know because they're so loaded in the outfield. Like the Brewers just have an incredibly deep outfield, yeah. not necessarily at the major league level. I mean, you know, Yelich is going to be around for the foreseeable future, but then you look, I mean, Renfro, he, Renfro's hit well enough to stay, stick in the lineup for the foreseeable future. And then you look at center field, and, I, and that seems to be where Taylor and Mitchell will platoon at. But it's just looking at the pipeline of the outfielders coming through the system because, like, honestly, like, Sal Freelich probably passes him. Yeah. You also have Estri Ruiz. You've got Joey Weimer, not to mention the aforementioned Jackson Churio, who's a stud as well. There's just a ton of outfielders in the system where he's going to really have to prove himself to – get a shot i think and if he begins to lift the ball a little more than it's possible but you know the ground ball rates are just way too high and that's the biggest issue can he get to power i, I think so he hits the ball hard but until he begins to lift it more i mean you're looking at like a 22 percent fly ball rate for this year between double and triple a and that just doesn't cut it especially when you're putting the ball on the ground nearly 60 percent of the time yeah he's never had i was looking at it earlier He's never had any level a ground ball rate lower than 57%. It was like 57.2 or whatever was his lowest in like low A, if you what level it was. But yeah, it was like 57.57% up to like 63%, right around 60%, give or take, you know, a few percentage points either way. And that's just, yeah, not just not going to get it done. Like maybe you can, with his speed, he'll probably, I think the average would be fine. I think he's 260, 270, you know, good OBP, like 340, 350, something like that. But I just don't know right now. I can't project him as more than a, Man, is 10 to 12 even too much of a power projection? I think that's probably maybe the high end. Like you said, yeah. he, does hit the, he does have good quality of contact. He does hit the ball pretty hard. But he has like that raw power is there. But, yeah, this is hitching his swing, the ground ball rate. I just Maybe he's 8 to 10 home runs over full year. But, like you said, all these big names coming up behind him, that none of them are, like, super close. But he's only, he's only got about a year and a half or so to kind of prove himself until – you get like Frelick up there and then Churio probably a little bit after that. Like there's not, you know, three, four years of hit for him here. He's got to really prove himself. Probably next year will be a big year for him. See if he can kind of stick as a, as a starter. Maybe they trade him. Who knows? But I do like him a bit. Like I said, the speed is valuable for fantasy purposes. If he can play enough, we'll see how that plays out. He had his first start here on Sunday. 
if you're getting caught up on Saturday, or if made his debut on Saturday, I should say, as a defensive replacement. But I don't know. Let's see, see how the playing time shakes out here. Moving over, the last one here, Eggie. Not E-Guy, Eggie Rosario. Love the name, Eggie. And getting called up by the San Diego Padres. Already pinch hit earlier today for his Major League debut. He is another one that is moderately intriguing. Just because you look at what he did this year, like huge, you know, everyone's talking about Estre Ruiz, obviously in that system before he got traded, but Eggie Rosario had a very good season in AAA. Obviously, El Paso is a hitter's haven, PCL hitters friendly league, but 293, 374, 520, 32 doubles, 21 home runs, 20 steals, walk rate over 10%, K rate right around 20%. But the thing with him is he's never been an efficient base dealer. He's been caught 61 times in 197 attempts. So he's about, some quick math here, he's probably a little under 70% for his career, and that's a little worrisome. And again, where does he fit in in San Diego? Luckily, he's he's played second, third, and short this year in the minor league, so that definitely helps. But I got to wonder, Chris, do you think he's just a super utility guy that has some value in deeper leagues long-term but never really gets on the 10 or 12 team you know, radar? What are your thoughts on that? Probably. It'll just be how does the power actually translate? And that's, I guess, my concern because we really hadn't seen the power to this extent until this season. He's definitely begun to add power as you look throughout his career. And you know, he had his moments when we saw him in the AFL where he flashed it a bit, but he's still very small and a bit undersized. So he's just kind of made the most out of his body. It kind of reminds me a bit of how Jose Altuve just really – just made it work for himself. And I'm not saying that'll be an outcome by any means, but Eggie's been very intriguing. The you know efficiency rate on the base pass is a bit concerning. Like for for somebody, he doesn't really have great speed, but I give him props because he is, you know, at least attempting. So I'll be curious to see how it shakes out. Like he made improvements this year that you just have to question whether they're legit or not. And I think we'll find out pretty quick once he gets to the big league level. Yeah, and one thing I just pulled up, I knew he had some pretty stark home road splits this year. Uh, so it's home, or was it? So the, the power speed was pretty similar. You know, 12 home runs, 8 steals at home, 9 and 12 on the road. But look at the slash line. Home, 355, 437, 643 on the road, 235, 316, 412. So that is definitely concerning, but sometimes said the power speed was still there. Just the approach and the contact, which is very much not <laughs> very much different and not in a good way here on the road. But yeah, I'm I'm always to keep an eye on them, see how how playing them checks out, see if that bat continues to translate to the major leagues. We'll see. But he's at least again like Mitchell and Cavalli. These all these guys are intriguing. You know, worth keeping an eye on here and just see how the role plays out for all, all these guys and how if they can work on their deficiencies, whether it be power or command and control. But you definitely have some fun guys here, but not as fun as Corbin Carroll, that is for sure. All right, moving on to some former top prospects. we got a pair of former top prospects that both Chris and I have been asked a fair amount of questions about this season, whether it be on Twitter or in our you know our Discord for our Patreon subscribers. Jaron Duran and Vidal Brujan. You know, kind of similar prospects to a degree. Both, you know, at the time were considered good hit and speed prospects with some developing power. But in the major leagues, both just have not been you know, able to find their footing. You know, both guys have shown very, very small, like 
you know moments of brilliance or potential, I should say. But overall, overall lines hasn't been there. They've been demoted several times. Duran was just demoted again. You look at Duran for his career here with Boston, 331 plate appearances over the last two years, slashing just 218, 269, 355, 18 walks to 103 strikeouts, five home runs, nine steals. And then the Vidal Brujan over the last two years, 178 plate appearances, 152, 208, 220. Two home runs, five steals, but also been caught five times. And not striking out a ton, but not walking a lot either. So, Chris, with these two, I'm pretty sure they're probably moving down for you, but do you have, are you just losing faith in both of these guys? Would you, either one, would you look to buy low on, or are you just kind of out? Not really. I mean, Bruhan, especially, like, I just don't really see much promise here. He's lost his efficiency on the base pass pretty much completely this year between AAA and the majors, 19 steals, but 15 caught stealing. And that just shouldn't be the case for somebody with his speed. And I saw him live this year, and his clock time is legit 80-grade speed. Like, it's that good. I clocked him home to first at 80, like 80-grade speed. So it just baffles me that he's lost that that jump on the base paths. And while the contact is good, he just doesn't have the quality of contact to excel at the major league level, at least I don't think. I mean, that can change, but we are talking about somebody at this point who – will be 25 next season, and he's failed to really show us anything beyond being a AAA type player, and that to me is you know, majorly concerning. Duran, his fielding's just been horrific too, which doesn't help his yeah. value a bit. <laughs> so with the bat struggling and your fielding's bad too, like it just doesn't really bode well for you to be a successful major leaguer. Now, Duran at least impacts the ball better than Bruhan does. But on the flip side, he just is not getting it done. I mean, the contact is decent. His own contact's really good, actually. But overall, you look at the profile, and it's just not really impressive. And what can he bring to the table long term? I, I just don't know. And so I have more confidence in Duran, though, than Bruhan at this point. But neither of them really have done their self much justice moving forward. They certainly have not. Yeah, I was looking at at on here. He's hitting you know, again, it's small sample size, but he's hitting 169 against fastballs in his major league career, 190 against breaking balls, and 061 against off speed. So it's not good. Like the ground ball rate is high, which you know isn't a death, you know, death sentence for guys like him because of the speed, but I just, I just don't see a lot in the profile. Like you mentioned, the speed is still very good, but just not quite as elite as it used to be. Like, yeah, when I saw him in the AFL in 2019, I think he went to hit one off the top of the wall and right and got home to third and 11 point. No, no, no. It was under 11, like 10 point six. Something, it was elite, like an 80 grade home to third time. And yeah, I think that speed is still there. Yeah, I think he's still going to be an impactful speed guy, but. That bat has just not done anything to give me promise that he can be a everyday major leaguer. And I'm not completely writing him off because it's way early to do so. Like I said, 178 career plate appearances. But same time, I am drastically lowering my expectations for him. I wonder if he's a starter long term. Maybe he's a utility backup guy that just pinched runs a lot. I don't know. 
the Rays will probably find a way to still find some use out of him if they don't trade him. But yeah, I'm definitely lowering my long-term expectations for him drastically. And Jaron Duran, I just, same with him. I think, I don't know who I'd want more here. I might lean Duran because he's at least shown a little something in terms of, you know, at the plate. But again, you mentioned the defense and yeah, that's been watching him try to play the outfield and Fenway has just been, been this this whole team has been an adventure defensively with a Franchi at first. This has been a nightmare, but Duran, I just, I don't like, I said, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't like his profile in Fenway. I think that power will be limited to a pretty large degree here at Fenway. The approach has not been great. 103 Ks and 331 plate appearances, which is quick math here, 31.1% K rate. He's only walking 5.4% of the time as well. Contact rates are low. I'm not really looking to go get either of these guys. I guess I'd go after Duran if I had to, but not really targets of mine in dynasty leagues right now. And I'm kind of losing hope on both at this point, unfortunately. All right, let's move on to some guys that actually have been doing good of late here. Two big names, you know, one hitter, one pitcher that have kind of over the last year or two for various reasons, whether it be performance, injury, or both, have kind of fallen from their elite status, but maybe they're back to it. Zach Gallen and Alex Bregman here. Zach Gallen quietly has had a very good year in 24 starts. 266 ERA, 0.97 whip, 25.2% K rate to a 6.9% walk rate. You know, XERA, all the ERA indicators are in the low to mid threes, which is pretty good. And then Alex Bregman as well. So he kind of started off the season slow, but kind of to be expected following shoulder surgery last year. But lately, he's really turned on the heat. He's up to now 269, 371. 481 slash 20 home runs in 525 plate appearances. We look at here in, let's see, in August, 375, 457, 716, seven home runs, nine doubles, 14 walks, nine Ks. And uh, yeah, that approach has still been very good. More walks than Ks on the year. Chris, I guess I'll kind of lump these two together here. Do you think either of these two guys are back to being elite players at their position or is this a good time so high in either one of these two? No, I mean, with Gallon, I think he's just being extremely underappreciated for what he's done this year. And this kind of resembles who Zach Gallon was his first two years in the bigs in 2019 and 2020. This looks exactly like what he did, just with a, a little bit better whip. You know, obviously that's been great to see him really you know, knock that walk right down a bit. The strikeouts, obviously, you'd like to see more, but he's still striking out. You know, right at a batter and inning, which we can live with that all day long when you're giving me those kind of ratios. And so to me, he's back in that high end SP2 territory that I once valued him at. You know, last year was a bit of a disappointment, but he was also had a lot of injuries last year that really bothered him. So we're talking about a someone who just turned 27 right in the prime of his career. And I think Gallon is, is really solid moving forward. From Bregman's standpoint, I think that we're just seeing who he is. Like, Certainly been great to see him get back on it. Another home run today for him, so that's obviously been good. He's been just killing the ball as of recent, and I think that Bregman's just going to be a solid average, and it's really good to see him getting back to the power. I think that's always been like the biggest question mark is like what kind of power does he really get to, but since the All-Star break, he has looked like a different hitter with eight home runs, 
over that time and a 338-401-631 slash. So really like to see what he's done. And I, I would say they're both back because I, to me, the, this is the prime time to really you know buy in. And maybe you missed the buy time, but I think they're both back. I would 100% agree on Gallon. I've always been a big Gallon guy as well. Like I've, I've said this before, I love the way he will throw all of his pitches to both sides of the plate. Like you look at his, you know, righty lefty splits here for his arsenal, and like I said, there's not like any big like all right, well he doesn't use that pitch against lefties or righties. Cutter, changeup, curve, four seamer, all get used both sides of the plate. He's kind of ditched the. The sinker's never been a high usage rate for him either, but the slider, which was used 8.5% of the time last year, down to 1.3% this year. So basically, you leave that out. So really, the, really those four pitches, and I love the way he mixes them. He doesn't get like the huge K rate, huge whiff rate, anything like that, but he's above average. He's basically just above average across, you know, across the board, even more so in terms of ratios. I think he's going to be pretty close to Aaron Nola. Maybe I'd still take Nola right now. But I don't think there's a big gap between the two long term, and maybe you could see Gallon even creep ahead in some dynasty rankings in the near future, just because he's a handful of years younger than Nola. But yeah, I, I fully believe in Gallon. He's definitely a buy. I will go the other way though on Alex Bregman. You know, Bregman is he back to is he back? Yes, but again, I think people's perception of him is still like way too high. I think people are still holding on to what he was doing in 2018, 2019 when he was one of the best hitters in baseball. Is he still a good hitter? Yes. Is he great, you know, great approach? Yes. But there's no speed anymore. Hasn't been any speed in about a half decade now. So that's out the window. And you look at the quality of contact is I, I don't even know if I go put it up in a good category. It's decent. It's like Average to a hair above average across the board. You know, the barrel rate is the best of his career and still only at, let's see here, 7.8%, which is above average, but still that's not great. Hard hit, 38.9, again, above average, 89.5 exit velocity. So I think he's back to like being a back end top 100 guy or, you know, an OBP, you could probably bump him up to like, oh, I don't know what you have him. I'd probably put him off the top of my head. 60 to 75 range i don't know maybe you, know, you probably have him a little bit higher than that but i I, th- I think this is a good time obviously most traded lengths have passed but off season i think if as long as he continues this or doesn't go into a huge funk here over the last four or five weeks of the season i would be looking to sell high on bregman absolutely again is he back yes is he good yes is he is his perceived value still higher than his actual value also yes so that's why, why he's a a great buy excuse me a sell high for me before we hit the break, Chris, do you have your rankings up? Do you know where you have him in your rankings? Or is well, it a, r- a rough range? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was totally, I'm totally kind of reworking him. He was like 98 for me, actually. And even in OVP, that was prior. Let's see. He was 94, actually, before. I, I think he's pushes the 50 to 60 range for OVP. Uh, around guys like Carlos Correa, George Springer, like, you know, Springer's probably going to bump down just the injuries. He can't stay healthy, but right. that that kind of range, like I think, and like it, I guess it depends on how you value Bregman. Like if you think it's a good time to sell, but I, I traded Trevor Story for him right at the deadline of the Highlander Dynasty, but also have pretty good middle infield. I had Dansby, Trey, and Trevor Story, so I felt pretty good about that. Needing a little more power and you know even some average, so. I don't know. I, I think that 
it just depends on what you see him as, but I think that he's solid moving forward, but I wouldn't value him like as a top 25 or top 30 player, but I think yeah. top 50 is pretty reasonable. Yeah, I, I could see. Like, I, I had a feeling you'd probably put him 50 to 60. I'm I'm saying I'm just a bit lower. It definitely more value in OBP leagues, that's for sure, but and I won't be like rushing to trade him either, but I would definitely be like fetching offers, put him on the trade block, message your league, Whatever you gotta do, whatever you got in your league here, but I, I, I would look to see if you can get a good offer. I think you can, so he's a good sell for me personally. All right, let's go ahead and hit a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. We will be right back. Support for Fantrax Toolshed is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. To join over 5 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer just for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping using the code Toolshed. That's right. As a listener of Fantrax Toolshed, just put the code Toolshed in at manscaped.com. Gets you 20% off and free shipping worldwide on any product on the site. The Performance 4.0 package is here, and it's a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, the Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies for your shed. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the trimmer of the future, and dare I say the greatest ball trimmer ever. Absolutely blown away by its performance and craftsmanship. It features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to its advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof, and also has a 4000K LED spotlight that you need for your most precise shaves. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can use it in the shower and say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. And you thought that was good, but the Manscaped 4.0 package takes your grooming game to the next level, which also includes the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver Below the Waist deodorant, the Crop Reviver Below the Waist toner, and they even throw in two free gifts for you in the package, the Manscaped Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag. So bring your comfort and boxers to the next level as well. It's time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TOOLSHED. That's right. This exclusive offer is just for you. Go to manscaped.com, put in the code TOOLSHED, and get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. All right. Welcome back from the break. We got some names on the list here that are really just performing well of late. Not necessarily the biggest names, but really some intriguing names to see like how we value these guys moving forward. Well, a couple of these guys have been two of the five. We'll talk about here. We have two pitchers, three hitters. Two of the five have been, you know, fairly big or at least solid prospect names. The other three, though, kind of, well, they weren't complete unknowns, have really burst onto the scene this year, or at least not you know, the last month or so. Let's start with the two pitchers we have here. We got Justin Steele and Edward Cabrera. And unfortunately today, Cabrera did get lit up against the the Dodgers, though. So you can't really, you know, put too much stock into that. He went five and two-thirds, five hits, six earned. I gave up two home runs, three walks, five Ks. But before that, his four starts since coming off the IL on August 5th. These were against the Cubs, the Phillies, the Padres, and the Athletics. So, you know, Phillies and Marlins, I'm mean, not assuming Phillies and Padres are pretty good opponents. Cubs, Athletics, not so much. But 
still five innings, zero runs, eight Ks. Five and two thirds, zero runs, six Ks. Four innings, zero runs, and seven Ks. Eight innings, zero runs, seven Ks. The walk has walk issue has never really gone away, but the stuff is filthy. Like you look at the, you know, the Arsenal led by a you know mid nineties fastball average is ninety six two on it. He's got a really good changeup, really good slider. Also mixes in a curveball and a sinker as well. High is high whiff rates on the curve slider and change all above thirty five percent. All have been hard to hit this year. So yeah, he had a bad start against the Dodgers. But are you buying into this Edward Cabrera breakout, Chris? And you know where do you think he could rise to in terms of you know dynasty starting pitchers? Do you think he could be like a top twenty five arm, top forty? Where do you have him long term? I think he's probably a top 50 arm. I think there's going to be some inconsistencies and some up and ups and downs with him. I'm not going to fault him for a Dodger start, but right. you saw Sandy Alcantara, Alcantara go out there and just dominate them, which I didn't expect. Complete game, which was highly impressive. But I will say that what Edward Cabrera has done has been very impressive. I've loved seeing him use his changeup more. That's obviously been a big thing when you his four seam last year was was fine. But wasn't great, but he's lowered the usage on it, which I think is the way to go. Throw your best pitch the most often, and he's doing that with a changeup. He's mixing his pitches really well. And overall, I really do buy into the improvements that Cabrera has made this season. But I still think you're going to see bumps in the road with him. You know, it's not going to be bad, but I think that there's going to be some inconsistencies from time to time. And from that standpoint, like, I have the concerns, like – it's interesting that his velo separation with his changeup and four seam is really not much at all. I mean, the changeup average is nearly 93 and his four seam average is 96. So that's that's interesting. Take it as it is, but the changeup has been a really good pitch regardless. So I, I do like Cabrera a good bit. I think that he's moved up significantly, but I'm hesitant to go too high on him. Steele's, I mean, Steele's been very interesting with what he's done. His arsenals actually comps really closely to Julio Urias both this year and last year. So it's been that's an interesting comp to see on baseball savant. But I mean, he's made some changes and actually using his four seam significantly more, which I find interesting. And he's it's made it work. You know, he's using that in the slider pretty much more exclusively. And it's really just paid off for him. I'm looking to see over the course of the season if that's changed a bit. But no, it still looks like he's just pumping the four seam and the slider mostly throws the sinker and the change up just a bit. But you know, maybe it's one of those cases where he is better off as a two pitch because he's not not using those other pitches that you know aren't as effective. And sometimes that can work for guys when you just really get rid of those bad pitches and it pay off for you. I mean, overall, I mean, he has been getting hit around some on the four seam, but the slider is a really good pitch, high whiff rate, you know, low batting average again. So, still, I'm buying into to some extent where he's been, you know, pretty intriguing and you know, limiting hard contact. You know, the strikeouts are enough to sustain, not great, but we can live with around 25% rate and we're getting decent ratios. So, I really do like both guys and what they've done this year. So it's, it will be interesting to see if it's how sustainable it is long-term. Yeah. When it comes to these two on a scale of one to 10, I'd say I'm buying into Cabrera, but I'd say seven and a half. I, I really like the stuff. The walk rate needs to come down a little bit, but maybe he can be like in that Freddie Peralta range, you know, around 10% or so with that, with the stuff he has, I think he could get by with that. It's so maybe you know, the whips a little higher than you want, but 
it's hard to hit. I mean, like I said, you got hit around today with the Dodgers, but who hasn't hit around by the Dodgers outside of Sandy Alcantara, like you mentioned? But love, you know, the the three big whiff rate offerings from Cambrera. You know, those are all really hard to hit. Even his fastball has been pretty damn good. Entering the start, it was 87 batting average against a 217 slug. So love the stuff there. I think he's going to be. You said tough. I'll go a little bit high. I think he could be like a top 35 to 40 arm long term. Really like the stuff there. Steel. He he's really hard for me to put really not, not not to figure out, but just to like figure out how I want to value him because you know the the stats are there. Like you look at you know this season, I think he's hasn't given up over. Let me pull up his game log here. Yeah, so in August he's given up three earned runs in five starts. In July he gave up five earned runs in four starts. So he's given up over his last nine starts eight earned runs in. That's a 49 on the third innings. That's pretty damn good. 59 Ks to 18 walks. But, but I just don't know if I trust. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if your offering isn't good, I'm totally with you. Just not throw it as much anymore. Like the curveball, he's almost gotten rid of. But that wasn't even really a bad pitch from last year, though, looking at the metrics. But for a two-pitch guy, I, I want to see the two pitches be a bit better than this though. Like the four seamer has been hit around 313 batting average against slider is good. You know, 37 32.7% whiff rate is, yeah, it's good. Not great, but it's good. 136 batting average against 216 slug 178 Woba. It's a good pitch. Absolutely a good pitch, but the fastball is just kind of meh. Uh, I guess he, he locates it fairly well, but I, I don't know. I, I'd be more willing to, I, I believe to a degree in what he's done, but I think he's more of a, a sell high here. But I did hear that John Lester's worked with him recently. I have not confirmed that, but I've heard hmm. it from actually a couple people. So that's encouraging. You know, yeah. Lester was a very good arm for a very long time. Always a very smart guy too. So I, I could see him being a pitching coach one of these days. But yeah. so that that does give some encouragement. But I don't know. I'm not fully buying it. I'll say like I'll say I have one to ten, four and a half to five on him. So Definitely a bit more on Edward Cabrera. All right. The three hitters we have Jake Fraley, Lars Nootbar, and Jake McCarthy. We already kind of talked McCarthy because obviously with the uh, Corbin Carroll news here, but Jake Fraley and Lars Nootbar have been really hot pickups over the last month or so. They probably are all gone in leagues now. So maybe in 10 or 12, they could still be available. So I guess go check to see if they're still available. But Fraley's the one that's always been a little bit more intriguing to me because he had that breakout in the minor leagues, you know, always had a, a, some good speed, you know, solid pop. And that pop has really continued to take a step forward over the last couple of years. Even, but this year, overall, the stat line isn't that great. It's two, 242, 328, 458. That, you know, he's a, two, a 216 slug on the year. If you look at... You know, since the All Star break, 312, 393, 584, six home runs, two steals, and 89 plate appearances. So he's really taken a step forward uh, over the last month or two. And then Lars Newtbar, you know, this is four or five days ago. I looked at it, but there was earlier this week or earlier last week, I should say, at this point now, he was third in baseball. I think it was behind Judge and. I forget the second person, but he was still third in baseball in Woba since I think it was at the beginning of July or something like that. You look at on the year, you know, only 245, 355, 453. But then you look at post All Star break, 284, 415, 520. More walks and strikeouts, four home runs, two steals. 
Which one of these two were you buying more into, Chris? Like, if you had to go out and get one of these guys right now in Dynasty Leagues, who would you be more willing to pay up for? You know, I I like Fraley, but I'm actually going to lean Nudepar. I I really just buy into what he's doing. And while I don't think he's ever going to be a real flashy-type player, I think he's just going to be one of those that kind of gets the job done pretty consistently. You've seen what he's done, and even recently he's really come on strong. And you know, he just strikes me as one of those players that kind of just flies on the radar for you know a lot of his career. And I think he's just going to be kind of an underrated fantasy asset. And since the All-Star break, you mentioned he's been really good. That The average EV is actually up pretty significantly. 92 miles an hour since then that's encouraging he's walking more than he struck out 284 average 415 obp and four home runs and two steals over that time so realistically like i just buy into newt bar the most of any of these three and i just think that what he's doing is pretty legit i do too i i, I buy into both these guys i just wonder if fraley's path to like an everyday role long term is a bit easier the new bars and new bars from playing every day right now, but you know, that means they've been bumping out Dylan Carlson. Do they still think he can be an everyday guy? Obviously they have, you know, Juan Yepes. There's a lot of guys that got to try to fit into this, this outfield and corner infield picture here. Jordan Walker's going to be coming up probably maybe late next year. So I just wonder if it maybe it's just an easier path to playing time for Fraley, but in terms of safeness, I think new bars, maybe he's not quite as, you know, it doesn't have the, the upside that Fridley might have for fantasy, but I agree. Newpar is absolutely safer. I think he's a better pure hitter than Fridley. He doesn't have the same power speed, but, but like you said, the power taking the step forward, you know, there's a little bit of speed there. Maybe he could be like a 15, 18 homer guy with, you know, five to 10 steals. Fridley could be, I think he could be 20 home runs, especially in that, that ballpark. Speed has kind of gone down a bit here, but still a part of his game. Still got a solid sprint speed. I think it'll be like a 10-ish, 10 to 12 steel guys. He could be 20-10, so a little bit more upside there. But you know, I don't know. I guess I I I buy into both, really. I just I, I wonder if Newbar, you know, how long he's a starter long term. He's gonna have to continue to hit, obviously, but Fraley, they don't really have a lot of other options. So he's gonna, I think, get a longer leash than Newbar, but I think both are solid dynasty buys here, though. All right, moving over to the last segment of the show. Prospect standout. It's got five names here, three hitters, two pitchers. Let's start with probably the biggest name on the list here in terms of a name that people know, Jason Dominguez. You know, like you mentioned, Chris, and we were trying to figure out who to put on this segment here. People like to give Dominguez crap just because of the insane expectations and comps that were put on him. And I get it. No, I think I was, you know, part of that to a degree as well. But he's actually put together a solid season. Look at between low A and high A, 106 games, 465 plate appearances, 277, 383, 449 slash, 22 doubles, 12 home runs, 34 steals, been caught seven times, 65 walks to 118 strikeouts. So where, where do you value him now, Chris? Obviously, I, I think that initial shine is far worn off, but what do you think he can be long-term and how impactful do you think he could be for fantasy purposes down the road? He's still a couple of years away, but where do you see him kind of settling in down the road? I think he's a top 25 prospect. I, I really do. I, I think that it was an overreaction when he signed because the insane comps 
And then it kind of became an overreaction to, to drop him like everybody did. But Dominguez has been quietly having a really good season. He's made significant improvements since bumping to high A, which I think is great. He had a good, he was performing well in low A, pretty much in age appropriate levels. He began the season at 19. He's still 19, but you know, he just turned 19 at the beginning of the year. So, you know, you look at the body of work and it, kind of screams like still top 25 prospect because showing good speed still despite a bulked up frame he certainly has the power he has the exit velocities to back it you know his numbers in low a were good i don't have his high a numbers but his low a exit velos were really good his 90th percentile ev was 107.17 and that's like that would put him you know 85th 80th percentile of major league hitter so that's pretty good there his max ev up near 113 like all things you like to see, good hard hit rate, good sweet spot rate, good barrel rate. And you know, he's improved the chase rate as he's bumped up. These are all things you want to see out of a prospect as they continue to develop. And think about the immense pressure that Jason Dominguez has faced and how he's performed despite it. So I've been pleased with what he's done. I still think the ground balls are a bit concerning. But despite that, he's made it work. He's showing good play discipline, walking at a high rate. He's cut the strikeout rate at pretty much every level of his career. From high, from low A last season, he cut it down again low A this year. And then with the bump to high A, I know it's just 141 plate appearances, but still a significant enough sample to say that it's pretty impressive that he's cut the K rate 7% down to 20.6%. Overall, Dominguez is doing a lot of things that you want to see, and he checks a lot of boxes. And I just think he doesn't get the love he deserves because of the crazy, crazy hype that was put on the crazy comps that he got. And it's like, oh, well, he's not hitting 330 with 30 bombs and 30 <laughs> steals. So let's drop him. But Dominguez is doing everything that you should expect him to do and more, I think. So he's he's going to be in my top 25 range in my next update. I agree with a lot of what you just said. But top 25, though, Chris? I mean, he, he what what does he have? Like, he he's improved at this level, and he's showing good speed and power. Like, he's not showing any signs of slowing down. Like, the the clock times are good. He's still in bases. He's improved his contact rate. To me, he looks like everything you want to see of someone that you expect to be like a twenty five twenty five type player with a decent average. So, you know, you look at the rankings and like, let's pull up and see. You know, twenty five range puts him around like. You know, Zach Veen and Tamar Johnson, I think that's certainly worthy to put him in that range personally. So I have no qualms with going top 25. And if you wanted to go top 20, you know, I could probably get there too, just based on some other names in that range. I just can't go that high. I mean, like I said, I agree with what you said for, for the most part, you know, the improvements he's made this year. I think I'd, I'm probably going to put him like in the, you know, 40 to 50. 45 range i just can't go top 25 yet i wonder i i think the power is still gonna c- continue to tick up he's like you said he's had good quality of contact the frame you know is good for is good power in that frame but i i really think the speed is gonna tail off like i was talking with somebody i actually forget who it was at this point it was about a year or a year and a half ago like, oh, yeah, the frame looks like Willie Calhoun. That just stuck with me. I just yeah. don't like that. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, whether it be fair or unfair. No, I think it's pretty fair, actually. But uh, I, I just don't know how much speed he gets to. I think he's more of like a 10 to 15 still guy. But I think he could hit 20 plus. But you got to wonder, is he 
Like I said, I think he's going to be a good player. I just don't think he's going to be a, a you know a great player. I don't think he's going to be ever be like a top fifty fantasy player or anything like that. But he's definitely moving back up, and I love the walk rate this year. You know, K rate he's kept in check. The contact rates have come up. I still think there's more power than he's shown in games, but I'll I'll go a little bit lower than you. I'll say like top forty to forty five. I think he'll definitely be top fifty for me, but. I think go top twenty five. Yeah, okay. personally. All right. Well, I'm just going. Okay. So, who would you prefer? I'll play the. Would you rather? Don't, so don't, don't, don't you play my own game? Yeah. Money. Okay. Well, I was looking at your rankings. <laughs> so I'm just going to ask who would you rather have? So Don Rafaela or Jason Dominguez? Rafaela. Okay. See, I think Rafaela just chases too much to. He like, does. He does. But same time, the contact skills are pretty solid. There's, I think the speed. I think that's the big thing between these two is the speed. I think Rafael is going to be a, you know, 20 plus stolen base guy. I think he's going to have a good 10 to 15 more steals. I don't think the power will be, you know, a huge difference. I I'd probably would give the slight edge to, to Dominguez, but not by a lot. And then maybe you give the, the better hit tool long-term to Dominguez. I can see that, but I think just the, slight advantages he might have in hit and power. I think there's a bigger advantage in speed for Rafaela. Again, these guys are probably pretty close. I got, they'll probably be within 10 spots in my overall, but I do lean Rafaela. I'm, really assuming, think, you ta- I'm, I'm assuming you take Rafa- Jason then. Yeah, I mean, Rafaela's numbers concern me. I, I saw Rafaela a lot, and I like him. Like I was pushing him from day one I saw him. I love the athlete, but I just I don't think his power – sticks like his evs are not good and he chases at an extraordinarily high rate which concerns me he's made it work like he at 330 at high a 280 and double a but what does that look like like high a pitching has been horrific this year so i guess that kind of negates what i'm saying about jason but still <laughs> I, I just think that jason does everything better than rafaela like jason better hit better power and probably similar stolen bases maybe not long term but initially like I mean, Jason's ran significantly more than Rafaela has this year. So I, I don't know. I, I do agree with you that his speed will tail off, but 15 to 20 steals probably. I think Jason has 30 home run power. And I don't see Rafaela getting you know more than 20 home runs with you know, maybe a few more steals. But I think Jason hits for 30 points higher average. I think Rafael is a 250 hitter in the big leagues. So you think do you think Jason's 280 then? Maybe not, but that <laughs> that was a stretch. But I do think that Jason has made strides and should continue to do that. I think he probably settles in as like a 270 type. He may have seasons where he hits 280, but Rafaela, I like him. I've got him still ranked high, but I'd prefer Jason. So see for me too, rough maybe Rafaela's power isn't great. I'll go I'll go there with you. But I think his batted ball profile fits Fenway well like double double a Portland here they got the big wall and left so it's not an exact replica of Fenway but it has some similarities right so you look at in oh where did this guy's lost it in double a he has a oh it was even in high a 42.5 percent pull rate which is you know to the point where it, it would fit Fenway but it's not like to the point where he's too pull happy in my opinion i think when you get too pull happy it's like you're closer to 50 or above 50 i should say you know double a he's at 48 percent with a 42 percent fly ball rate so i think is i think he's to be one where maybe he won't have the the super high evs or the you know the elite bar rates but maybe like almost like i'm not comp- comping him the lindor but you know lindor's ever had the you know st- stood out in those areas i think rafael could be the same way where maybe he doesn't have even like a Boba Shet has never really stood out in those areas, but 
he gets to enough power. I think his swing is going to be fit Fenway very well. I think he's going to be a 2020 caliber player. You know, Jason, I just don't know how much I th- I just don't think the sp- I think the speed tails off with, with Jason a decent bit here. I, I have some questions with the frame and I think, you know, while Rafaela does chase too much, hundred percent agree there. He's kind of made it work. Like the K rate has never been concerning. I'd love to see him walk a little bit more, but, so I do think Jason hits for a better average, but I don't think it's 30 point. I think I'd say Rafael, I'm going to say Rafael is 260 ish. Jason probably 275. So I'll go like 15 points. I'll go with you there, but I don't, I don't think this would be a huge gap in power, but I do think there will be a bigger gap in speed. So again, I think it's close. Like I think it's definitely close either way you want to look at it, but I would lean Rafael, but that's, that's a very good, very good debate there for sure. That's, that's what I was wondering based on the like range you would put Dominguez just based on your rankings. Would you still prefer Christian Hernandez to Dominguez? Let me probably go Dominguez there. Hernandez, last time I looked, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I haven't looked at Hernandez in the last handful of days here. But he's been not terrible, but not like great. I don't know his stats here. Maybe if I could spell Hernandez right, that would definitely help. There's no D after the first N there, Eric. I can't type tonight, but let me just look at his pulpit stats here. Give us stats for in front of you, Chris. I can't seem to spell his name right. Christian Hernandez. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I, now I know how to spell <laughs> it. Uh, my my fingers doesn't want to work tonight. That's not the right one. Let's see here. Wish I would put teams next to him. That's not the right one either. I hate when they do that. They don't put the team next to the. You have to like guess just based on like their birth date. There we go. I got him. Cubs. There we go. All right. So this year, two sixty one, three twenty, three fifty seven. You know, power hasn't really been there at all. ISO's under a hundred. I mean, obviously, it's super early on this. I still love the profile, but I would go Jason over her. I think Panas probably drop around 50, like low 50s for me this next update. Well, I think probably a 10 spot jump up to Jason. So, yeah, I'd go Jason. Yeah, that's what I figured. I figured he had moved up ahead of him. But, yeah, anyway, that's some good debate. So, we're yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm that, killing that. a lot of time, but... That was that was that was a fun one though. That was definitely fun. Like I said, we 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 might differ on it, but I think we both uh, explained our reasoning well. It's, it's gonna be fun to follow. I think both these guys will be very uh, very intriguing players moving forward here. So f- be fun to a Red Sox Yankees thing too. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's how that, yeah, see how that works out too. All right, who's next on the list here? Yaner Diaz, dude. This this guy has been just tearing the cover off the ball the entire year. Last ten days, four twenty five. With six extra base hits, four home runs on the season in 480 plate appearances, 305, 356, 542, 25 home runs, 7.1% walk rate, 16% strikeout rate. And someone asked me earlier, you know, who would be a kind of a sneaky guy to add in terms of like for a catcher? This guy, you know, his dynasty league, I think he said he was having a lot hard time filling that catcher position for the last handful of years to go for the upside guy, but close to the majors. I was like, Yiner Diaz. I think he's going to be up next year. I think he's going to be a very impactful fantasy catcher. I think he could be borderline top you know, 12 fantasy catcher at some point. I don't know when that'll be, but good home ballpark for him to hit in. Good lineup to hit in. The bat is legit. I know you like him a lot, too. So where, where is he at? Is he top 100 for you now, Chris? Yeah, he should be. And I've I've loved him since you know last year and He's been really good. I saw him in high A when they were you know, in town because he was with Asheville. I don't know. There's just something about his profile that's always been really good, and the field of hits just 
incredible. It was surprising to me that Cleveland traded him, and I don't even remember what they got in return, but I don't don't think it was anything significant. But the field of hit here has been absolutely incredible. The power developing, too, has been huge, and it's no surprise there. I mean, Diaz had it in the swing. He's got the frame for it. So he's one I think is flying highly underrated. Catcher's been such an interesting position because there's a lot of underrated catcher catching prospects at this point that have really good bats. Everybody wants to go after the high-end ones, and I get it. Like, look at what Adley's doing. But just look at these young, these like lesser guys like Yanir Diaz and Edgar Cuero. There's a ton of talented catching prospects that are just knocking the love that they deserve. And Diaz has been a pleasant, pleasant surprise this year with the power. No surprise he can hit. I mean, the field of hits been incredible, but I think he's ready to be the catcher. I mean, they're still trotting out Maldonado and Vasquez. Like, let's see what Diaz can do, man. I don't know if he gets run this year, but he's going to be 24 for next season. So I think that he's Houston's catcher of the future. I do too. And it's not like they have anybody really blocking him at the major league level. I think he definitely is their catcher of the future. And very good back. I think he's above. I think he's probably above average hit, above average power. That'll probably get that boost from from hitting at at that ballpark. So you know who are these? You know they're starting Martin Maldonado right now. You know they got Christian Vasquez, but I think how long is he signed for? He's not signed long term. I don't think so. You know we'll see how that works out in the short term, but long term, absolutely, he's definitely a great ad. Like, like you mentioned, there's a lot of good catchers to add right now. Like, would it surprise you, Chris? And this might kind of it makes some people bat an eye. Would it surprise you if guys like Andy Diaz, I'm, sorry, I'm combining guys, mm-hmm. Andy Rodriguez, Jander Diaz, Bo Naylor, the kind of those guys are better for fantasy than like a Gabriel Moreno or, or someone like that? I, it no. wouldn't surprise me. Maybe I don't have them ranked that way, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think you look at Moreno's power kind of out outage this year. He's still a very, very good bat, but for fantasy – these guys might not be end up being better long term. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, Moreno's interesting. Like, what kind of power can he actually get to? I think that's the biggest question. I mean, Diaz has just as good of a field to hit as Moreno, but actually gets to the power. So that's what you want to see. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, like this this is kind of the type of trade I love making in Dynasty Leagues, where it's like, you know, guys that you can get a guy that you think could be just as good or better than the guy you're getting giving up, and then still get like a solid second piece out of it. You could probably trade Moreno for Yiner Diaz and and maybe get another top one fifty guy added on to that. And that's something I would definitely look be you know intrigued in doing for sure. All right, Michael Talia here is the next name on the list here. I think he just went past the thirty home run mark on the season. Let's see here. Last ten days, five doubles, five home runs, hitting three ninety five with a nine twenty one slug. Then you look at on the season. He is up to yeah, 30 home runs, 251, 345, 13, 11.8% walk rate, 29.9% K rate. Like we saw him hit some dingers in the AFL last year. He had a bomb early in the year when I saw him and also had the probably longest foul ball I've ever seen hit that I swear went 500 feet. It was going, it was exit velo of like 111, 112. It was still going up as it went past the right field pole. Like it, it was a dark out. So I lost it, but I'm like, that thing was still cruising. So the power, we know the powers. We, we've both seen the power firsthand multiple times, but contact K rate, both issues. 
you think he's ever more than like a 230, 240 hitter. But again, he could be a 30 home run guy. He's got that power, course field, Babbitt boost. He could turn out to be a decent little player, but the K rate still scares me. That's possible. I think the Babbitt will play up, and he's a low Babbitt guy. So naturally, like that's going to see an increase. So that's encouraging. The walk rate's encouraging. The strikeout rate is, is not encouraging. You're right. He does get to big power. It is interesting, too, because he can steal some bags. He, yeah. he doesn't have good speed, but neither does Freddie Freeman, and Freeman always steals like seven to ten bags a year. Just, just got to be smart, man. Like uh, yeah. stole bags. Pujols yeah. was never fast. No. Even when he didn't have the foot issues, he was never fast, but he still stole a little bit. Right. So maybe, maybe I'm a bit low on him. I, I'm semi-intrigued about what he can do in course field with the ability to play regularly. Now 24 years old, like it's time to see what he's got at the major league level. You know, I mean, I don't think he's a top 100 prospect by any means, but I think there is some intrigue with with Michael Tolia. Yeah, I think he could be top 150. I think that's fair. I think I have some yeah. other players with similar-ish profiles in that range. So I really got to look to see where I want to rank him. But yeah, I think he could be top 150-ish. Maybe, you know, maybe a smidge higher in OBP, though. He doesn't have a super high walk rate. He's always been like above 10%. So definitely a, a, a smidge more value. In OBP, but yeah, definitely love that power for sure. He's hit some absolute moonshots. Two pitchers on the list here: Tanner Bibby and Frank Mazzucato. And if you're wondering, because I always get it wrong, it's B I B E E. One B, two E's. I always want to put like two B's and two E's, or two B's and one E. It's one B and two E's after the B I to start. And yeah, and Frank Mazzucato, the other name on the list. So both AL Central guys over the last 30 days. Mazzucato, 25 innings. 250, 252 ERA, 0.96 whip, 31 Ks to 12 walks. And Bibby is at 28 innings over the last 30 days, 161 ERA, 0.93 whip, 32 Ks to just six walks. So another one of those good command and control guys from the Cleveland org. Now, Mazzucato's kind of been struggling. Uh, you know, he hasn't been terrible this year, but you know, definitely taking some time to get his footing in the minor leagues. But, you know, he was a high draft pick. Bibby kind of a breakout guy this year. What are, your, what are your thoughts on these two? And are you targeting either of them right now in dynasty leagues? I think Bibby's a bit underrated still, despite what he's done. I mean, his arsenal is really good and I don't think he's overly flashy, but I think he does enough well and he flashes above average kind of across the board, yeah. which is what you want to see mixes the arsenal. Well, I'm a pretty much a big fan and believer of what I've seen. And he's posted some, pretty gaudy numbers this year that have really only got better as he's moved up He started in high a now to double a strikeouts have ticked down a bit, but still living at 27 and a half percent rate in double a pretty good. I mean, one, four, five ERA, a 0.85 whip is highly impressive. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. Bibby to me strikes me as a mold of a player that just never, you know, gets all the love and respect that he deserves, but is a really good one. Now, Mazzucato is interesting. He was really bad to start the year. We saw his first ever start as a professional in Instructs. You know, yeah. For what it is, was pretty fun. He, <laughs> Kaderna, uh, too. Yep. Kaderna was much better than Mazzucato. Mazzucato just didn't really have the velo, and I think there's still room for that. He His frame certainly screams he can add strength and velocity. You know, he mixes a, a slider and a curveball that are, are solid, and I think the changeup has some decent feel to it. He's been better down the stretch, as you've mentioned. The strikeouts have been coming, 
and he's just been more consistent. So those are things you like to see. Overall, I like Mazzucato, but he still has work to do to push inside like my top 200, I think. He's he's not at that level and never has been for me. Yeah, but great. I want to see the fastball velo before because like 89 to 91 just doesn't really get it done. I don't have the numbers to know if it's improved as of recent, but I know it wasn't there. So yeah, that's my concern. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of there with you on both these guys. I think, I think Bibby screams like really good. Number four for a long time. I've got to this, have a long career, never stand out, but just just quietly go about his business and put up solid seasons. Mazzucato probably has the higher upside, but again, like you mentioned, the the velo isn't there. He still got plenty of projection on that frame. He's, he's pretty scrawny, but that doesn't that's not a guarantee. Like we say, oh, he has projection. There's no guarantee he'll add it. Like there's no guarantee he'll add bulk. I mean, maybe he's just a Chris Sale. Guy. I don't know. But without the velo, but yeah, I'm still kind of I'm wishy washy on, on Mazzucato. I think there's some upside there, so he'll still be. No, probably 250-ish. I think he's kind of settled into that range. Maybe I'll move him up a little bit, but he's not 200 yet. Bibby's just a guy that, well, I don't think he's top 100. I think he's definitely top 200 guy, high floor guy, solid stuff. I love, you know, obviously, Cleveland's a good place to develop. So I think he's going to be a guy that's probably going to continue to exceed expectations here. But all right, that's going to wrap up this show. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter, Chris at RotoClegg. I'm Eric Cross04. And our show's at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon, of course. And join us again next time from a fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care. fans. It's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to meachoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion?